To two day dream believers podcast. I am your host, Space Serpent 18, and um, today we are kicking off season three, guys. Season three. Um, here I have with me, um, one step away from reality and snarky hat. Hello, hi, and we're doing Purple Piano Project. So, um, I'm gonna start right off the bat and saying that um, it is a well known fact that. Season three is my least least favorite season of the series, so I'm going to whine more during this um, uh, section of podcast. But there there are a lot of really great things, and we are starting off with a really great episode in the Purple Piano Project. So here we go. Yes, this is actually my favorite episode of the season, and I agree that the season is oh, less than ideal to put it mildly <laughs> yeah and and i mean we'll talk about it more as we go on i will be probably i mean for those of you guys who were um listened to my original song podcast and heard me talk about my dislike of candles in <laughs> a lot of detail that is kind of going to be i will back up my claims for why i'm not a big fan of season three but um, I'm not going to try and get too negative. I mean, it's still Glee. It's still, you know, fun. And there's still a lot of great things in season three, even if I want to spend most of my time wanting to punch Rachel in the nose. So, or the writers, I don't know. Um, but one thing I should note, um, is that, uh, starting with this, this particular episode, one of the big differences is that there are new writers. And I think because there were new writers, that changed kind of the dynamic um season one and two kind of have this grittier edgier feel to them season three kind of feels more i don't want to say cartoonish but it's brighter and and um just a little bit more family friendly than the first two seasons were yeah i agree i also think it was more um what's the word i'm looking for episodic Mm mm-hmm where mm-hmm. rather than having like a long story for a particular season, it was like each episode could kind of stand alone more and more. So you didn't have to be watching it to understand what had happened previously. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, I agree. They brought in so there's mm-hmm. so many moving parts to this season because they they brought in new writers, but they also brought in a ton of people and all this extra stuff going on. 
Um, and it did definitely, it, it changed um, the feeling of the show in some really significant ways. Mm. Yes, I think that even with the stories that they were trying to carry over, there was a bit of a scattered feel with them. You know what so, I mean? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. yeah go ahead. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to cut you off. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, ju- I just felt like even those, uh, like the um, Britney as a president, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry about spoilers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, it, it's just that even those stories, they felt like, you know, they were not episodic in nature, but uh, at the same time, they didn't feel like they were flowing between the episodes anyway. Yeah. So, so I completely agree. And it's interesting. The first, this season can be really broken down into three parts. You have the opening from episode one to episode eight, which is hold on to 16, which is their sectionals episode. Then you have the Christmas, which is kind of a standalone one, but this until on my way, which is episode 14, that's regionals, And then everything from episode 15 to episode, you know, the end, which is, which is, um, 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 goodbye. And with, I mean, there is this kind of sense and, and we'll get into the episode, um, in a second when talking about the seniors, but, there are all of these seniors, and they kind of have these storylines throughout, but, um, you know, the first eight episodes do have a lot of these threads that are story arcs, but then it gets less and less, and it gets more and more episodic as the se- this season goes on. And the only real thread that keeps going is the Finchel one, which is just, re- it gets just, by the end of it, you just are so tired of Rachel and Finn that it gets, mm-hmm. yeah, ha ha. It's like a train yeah. wreck. So, which is funny because in the in the opening of this, so with this episode opening up the season, they start out addressing you know what happened at nationals last year, and how it was a YouTube sensation, and basically everyone is already sick of Rachel and Finn and the way their relationship is, and they snuggle up next to each other and like you know no one's gonna crush our love, and they're all lovey dovey, and everybody else is like ugh. And there's the theme for season three. <laughs> Yeah, I actually felt like exactly with this episode, I was thinking a similar thing, but I felt like when uh, Kurt was pointing out about the YouTube video and all of that, as if they were telling us, yeah, everybody is sick of them, but the writers were telling us, oh, you think you're sick of them? Wait until you see how much more sick of them you'll get throughout the entire season. <laughs> and I'm sure that wasn't their plan. I'm sure no, that's, but that's, that's how, how I felt when I was rewatching <laughs> this episode. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning because we have um, this brilliant um, Jacob and Israel like season two, where he goes around and he talks to all the seniors about what they're going to do. Um, we I can- thought that was effective. I, I liked it. When, I like how they opened it how they open the episodes with those um, when they're set in school. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we get, we get most of the, well, we get the, everybody talking about most of them are seniors. And um, then we get the reveal that Artie and Tina are juniors because you know, the chair adds years or something. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Finn, we, we get, he doesn't have any idea what he's going to do with the rest of his life, which is really kind of, is macabre the right way to put this? It's really this whole season in Finn is it's really hard to watch knowing where his story, where what happens with the character. Um, yeah. So, um, 
But then we yeah, get he's very lost. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the Jacob and Israel stuff with Finn at the, in the beginning of the episode is great. It's it's very funny. It's very well played. It's so it's perfectly suited because he really has no idea. Um, you know, this is a character who didn't really think more than a couple months out ever. Um, the scene with in what in Emma's office with Kurt and Rachel, I find incredibly irritating because here starts the idea that no one's ever heard of college before <laughs> or how to do it or anything. Um, I mean, it gives us an excuse to have the me and my hag pamphlet, which is fantastic, but like, that's the part where it's just like nails on the chalkboard with glee. Like you cannot tell me that these two have not been Googling all summer or all for their whole lives, you know, like they have so much knowledge about so much stuff. I, I see them being um, naive and innocent from time to time, but not stupid. Yeah. You know? Well, we'll jump to that in a second. Um, let's first talk about yeah. their Jacob and Israel a little bit. Um, first of all, the thing that I want to point out is that this is the start of, like, as you said, with the pamphlet, this is the whole start of Hummelberry and the focus on Hummelberry and the shift from, Kurt really being his own character to being a sidekick in somebody else's story. And I know lots of people might argue with me about this in season three, but season four did not come out of nowhere. Um, this is kind of just the start of it. Well, and, and in this scene we get, you know, Rachel is in the center talking about, you know, her life and what she's going to want to do it. And Kurt's kind of just pulling focus in the background and, so, but all the thing. I mean, the thing is that all the things that Kurt says are really memorable. Like they're all very important to his story. Um, but he is—he's posing for the camera. I mean, he's doing all these like behind-the-scene things, and they—you know—they drop in on the two of them singing their scales, which is kind of cute. Me 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 me. It's such a great parallel to last last season's opener. Especially because, in a frustrating way, they have the two of them there with the piano, and they seem to be totally on the same page. And then the next person they cut to is Mercedes. And I'm irritated instantly that Mercedes is not in the choir room with them. Right. But I kind of get it, because she's got some other stuff going on, including Shane, you know. And, you know, apparently her plot exposition is all about Sam. Oh, that's right. That's true. Yeah. They have to catch yeah. up on the same stuff. And then I do want to uh, mention that, uh, just because I, I find it entertaining, Kurt says he's going to, uh, his future plans include getting married. And granted, they aren't until 30, but it is still there. But he does say legally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're both going to go to New York, and, and we'll pick it up in a second with the uh, Emma stuff. But you would think, I mean, she's even, even the still that I'm looking at, and she's got a binder of New York ideas and whatnot. And I mean, yeah, they're a little grandiose. I mean, they're not going to get a nice little apartment in on the West side. I'm sorry. That's not going to happen, but they, I, yeah, maybe they're just so in the clouds over New York that they aren't really thinking about college, but least in college is so ridiculous anyway. So, all right. So yeah, then we get into the first choir room scene and that's where we talked a little bit about the Finchel stuff and Kurt has his line, <laughs> like all the uh, YouTube comments are, are, sorry, the YouTube page is full of pithy comments. Like why is the T-Brex eating the Jew? That's a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of their best jokes. <laughs> and then we yeah. get um, the purple pianos. 
which Kurt like gets up and instantly drapes himself over. <laughs> of course. Yeah, you know, I had to laugh because the pianos swing in and Will sits on the keys, which in terms of sitting sexy on a piano or sitting appropriately, like he's just doing it wrong. He sits on the keys and it's like clunk, you know, but Kurt <laughs> is like, oh, a prop. Oh, I'm in. Let's play with it. I actually thought the scene was really interesting because um, I felt so much joy coming out of Kurt. I felt like throughout the entire time, even though he was making the jokes, making fun of Finn and Rachel, he was still a little snarky, but he wasn't as um, sarcastically bitter as he would normally be in previous seasons when he would comment on things happening. I felt like he was a little more upbeat and there was just joy coming out of him. And of course, that probably has a lot to do with the fact that he's in a much better place just within himself and with Blaine and all of that. But I just felt like there was a shift in how he was acting in the choir room. Absolutely. You can tell he's had a great summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was a great summer for fan fiction. So he's had a great summer. Like, well, <laughs> The fandom collectively has had a great summer. Like Everybody's coming into this so happy. And that's the interesting thing, I think, about this. Because season two, you have Kurt in the lowest of places. Even though season one didn't really end badly for him. But he's got, you know, really low beginning of season two. And it goes all the way up. And we talked at the end of season two about how Kurt is at this really, really high place. And you're right, he has this summer that probably is kind of amazing. I mean... He's, you know, his family life has settled down and it's good and he's got Blaine and he's got his New York dreams and he and Rachel and Mercedes are all BFF and there's all of this great stuff and then it's just going to just downward spiral for the rest of the year into <laughs> season yeah. four. So we should enjoy this high now because you guys, it just, you know, it, 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 it levels off at the first time and just goes downward after that. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but yep, now he's got yep the purple piano to play on and be happy. And it's funny. The other thing I want to note about this um, scene, it just in general, is that Will is talking about you know inspiring people to come and join Glee Club, and it still amazes me that first of all nobody wants to come join them, but also the one person who does want to come join them, Will's instantly like, yeah, no, I don't want them in there. I just, it's so ridiculous. Not to mention, this particular episode, maybe not intentionally, kind of has the same kind of theme as um, season two's audition, where they're, again, trying to get people into the Glee Club. Well, I mean, I get why he um, will, you know, because Will and Finn are, they are a united team. So Will, you know, he sees that something's going to bother Finn, and it bothers him as well. He kind of can't help it. I mean, is there a time when Will doesn't have Finn's back in some way? That is true. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, he, he even wanted to give um, other people a chance, but it, it was Rachel who cut him off. So, of course, he has to do whatever Rachel wants. So, Okay, so we next find, um, we have the scene with Emma where um, they're starting to talk about college. 
And you're right. I, I, for two people who spend a lot of time talking about musical theater and Broadway and have researched Juilliard, if nothing else, it's surprising that they wouldn't know of Miata. But because you would think that if, if any of their diva favorites had gone to a college, they would know everything about. They would know that, right? Yeah, you would think that they, they just, would know that Julia like, doesn't have a performance arts department, but yeah. You would think they would know everything. They would know what classes eventually they would want to take, where they would want to live. It still seems like, I mean, it's dumb, but it still seems like Juilliard, okay, so they don't have a musical theater department, or maybe they do, I don't know. Um, but like, it still seems like it would be an appropriate school. <laughs> I don't think they do, though. But there are a lot of I mean, New York-based schools that do. Now, Niata, for anybody that doesn't know, um, is a made-up school. Um, <laughs> I, one thing I will steal from the um, Lima Heights adjacent podcast is that Lima or that Niata is a scam school. <laughs> and I, I'm not particularly <laughs> disagreeing with this whole idea. I, I am not a huge Niata fan, but... Um, I guess we'll get into that when we get to actual Niata. So, for now, we'll we'll just uh, Kurt and Rachel getting into Rachel. That that's yeah. I just I feel like there's a good point. Like when she can't when they are in the office and um, I almost call her Wemma every time. So I, Emma says that like this is the one dating combination that the Glee Club hasn't tried yet. First of all, that's very funny. And then there's the pamphlet, and the pamphlet is perfect. It's so funny. And Kurt takes it. Yeah, really he does. <laughs> because it's probably... Well, why not? <laughs> I bet you that... I mean, I can only imagine this summer where, you know, Kurt and Finn are living in the same house and Blaine and Rachel are always over. And mm-hmm. Rachel's probably, like, bossing the three of them around. I mean... Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so then we get into... We get our first clean scene. Um, at the Lima Bean. And this is just adorable, the two of them. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The playful tone, the cute looks, the teasing. Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> it is like... <laughs> First of all, it has spawned a number of fix, just some of the little things that they say in there, and I adore that. But... I love their relationship and the way that they talk about stuff and how, like, you know, like when Kurt jokes that, like, he's not being quiet, he's being passive aggressive. And so, like, he's mad about (laughs) something, but he also just, like, they're just too adorable for it to be, like, it's not really an issue. Like, they can express the fact that they're having these issues. And, like, it's just, it's, they're so, like, that scene, you just want to, like, squish its cheeks. Like, it's so great. Yep. They're so adorable. And the, the whole competitive nature stuff comes out in a positive yeah. way. I mean, because later on in season five-ish, they'll talk about competing with each other in this kind of negative and destructive way. But here, just this playful tone between the two of them. Um, yeah. yeah, and you can still see that they're still in this beginning phase of the relationship where they can't quite hide their smiles they have these little like this kind of little cute way that they look at each other it not exactly sneaking glances at each other but at the same time not completely and fully comfortable just this 
um, thrilling way of talking. Well, they're definitely in their own little bubble. They they don't yep. really seem to care that they're in public. I mean, they're careful in the way that they are a gay couple in Ohio, but I mean, they still hold hands. But it's the, definitely the eye flirting is is just they have that down. Yeah. I, mean, I like. I have to say that scene also. I think played really heavily into what fandom figured is these two were had been getting it on. Oh, that's summer. what I was just when gonna. Saw, to... When we saw this like super flirty scene, everybody in fandom was like, "Yep, that's true. That's canon. It's canon now." Like, and there were so many. There were, you know, the the summer of fic that happened here was all really good because we had we had established Kurt and Blaine. In a way that now people started putting them in, in AUs where they were very realistic characters. And we got to see a lot of them, like, if they were, if they hadn't met, like, if they met when they were later in life, if they were doing this other thing. And so I thought the AUs that came out were really, really strong. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, there was still a lot of great stuff where Blaine had friends from Dalton. And so, like, some of the Dalton people were still around. Um and of course, the smut was like insane. It was like the summer of smut. <laughs> well, and wasn't there was kind of a rumor. Yeah. Um, this was never clarified by the actors or anything, but uh, there was a lot of people who commented that um, Chris and Darren played it as if they were already fooling around with each other. Sure. I mean, wouldn't they have assumed that? <laughs> I would have, but you know. Until yeah. You get, until you get the, um, oh my God, I just forgot the word, the, the script for the first time you would have just thought that because you wouldn't like, but cause like, you know, why wouldn't they have? Right. Which is again, what fandom thought there were so many gorgeous picnics with things happening. There was a lot of ejaculate in the Anderson's pool. Like, <laughs> oh, like, <laughs> they were home during the day, his parents work or they're gone. It's such a beautiful location. There was a lot. Great. Now, there are two <laughs> things that I want to point out about this scene that are not as um, not as uh, happy as this scene might portray. Some stuff going on underneath. Um, the first one is that Kurt wants Blaine to transfer. Yeah. And that, I mean, I guess we'll get more into it when, when that Blaine actually does transfer. But that's going to have some really rippling repercussions, I think. Um, the second one is, and I find this hilarious every time he says it, but Kurt says, I want my senior year to be magic, and the only way I can do that is if I spend every second of every day with you. That is going to come back and bite him in his ass when, at some point in the, when, they, when they actually move in together. Um, it's, you know, a romantic notion, and you have these two teenagers who are still in this the throes of this honeymoon lovey-dovey stage but when you get into the reality of spending every single second with someone it's just no (laughs) yeah so but you know what i'm so glad that they that the story went there because that's the complicated story that i wanted to see oh yeah yeah i agree because i think that it's good that they showed it this way and it's normal for every teenager to want to be every second of every day with whoever they're with, whoever they're dating. And it, it's good that they showed us that it's not as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to think, oh, um, let me throw this question out to you guys. It is the first day of school at this point, and um, Blaine hasn't transferred yet. 
And I wonder, you know, did he decide to like spend a few days at Dalton to make up his mind? Like, I wonder what was the final push to get him to actually transfer to McKinley? Well, on day two, Kurt's wearing the same outfit as he's wearing at the Lima Bean. And if those two schools start at the same time, Blaine's been to Warbler School two days, and then they have this conversation because Kurt's already unhappy that he still hasn't come. He's had two whole days of waiting, and that's enough. Thank you. So it seems like on day three is when Blaine shows up. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, (laughs) he's going to die. How much longer does the boy have to wait? (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) the scene ends with this, uh, you know, there's... It, it, early in, 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 in Kurt's story mo- a lot is a lot about hand-holding, and I just love the shot of them holding hands in the lima bean. It's just this really sweet thing. Yeah, Yeah, and the way Kurt's thumb rubs Blaine's hand at the end. Oh, yep. oh. <laughs> also, can I just as a side, not it's not a rant, I'm just a little perplexed. It's summer still. It's like the end of August. And Blaine is sitting there in a full warbler outfit. I mean, how damn hot does it have to be? Like, I would not want to be wearing that stupid blazer. And they're drinking coffee. Well, I mean, it's got to be freakishly air-conditioned everywhere they go. Oh, okay. I'll take that. I don't know. Every time I see that, I'm like, God, why? It'd just be weird. Because, like, the next scene he comes in, he's wearing a freaking T-shirt. So, I'm like, maybe that's why. No, I'm kidding. Um, All right. Moving on, we get um, we get the scene in the cafeteria where there's a purple piano and um, they sing "We've Got the Beat" or "We Got the Beat." And again, why? Like you know, if somebody decided to, if a group of people got on the tables and started dancing and singing at my school, I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. So I would be concerned that they were going to dance on my food. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't be so upset that I would then throw my food at them because I would want to eat no. that food. <laughs> I have to say that is the funniest part when when Puck, I think it's Puck, who's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> I do like uh, all the character reactions to the food fight. I thought they were pretty good. Yeah. Um, Kurt has got his shield of the tray as a shield and is like backing <laughs> into a corner. Right. Brittany is dancing in it. It just... <laughs> Yeah, I think Rachel's just crying. She's still crying. <laughs> but it's a pretty good number. It's fun and peppy and... I don't know. Yeah, yeah Kurt was on the table doing high kicks at one point. Well, that's what yeah. he usually does. I was just going <laughs> head or my food. <sighs> I'd be like, there's beverage here. Excuse me, Mr. Hummel. Take a step. Over there. <laughs> I bought this lunch. And this is, uh, Kurt's wearing this vest. I think he's wearing a vest in this one. But he, he I don't know, this is very, um. It looks like he's wearing a suit, but without, a three-piece suit, but without the jacket. But he looks very nice. I'm like, this is the, this is definitely, I can tell the transition between younger Kurt and older Kurt, or younger Chris and older Chris. Like, it's definitely that, that change between the early stuff and the later stuff. Cool, yeah. Oh, you mean because it's not like a wacky outfit? It's just more tailored? Oh, that too. His clothes get... I mean, like, we're going to yeah, get in some... In this episode especially, he's very um, masculine tailored. Mm-hmm. Like his his outfit in when they're all wearing purple is like incredibly sexy man. With no... Like 
I think he has on a neckerchief, maybe, but it's not it's not especially flamboyant. It just makes it seem like he's just he's not trying to express more like he's it makes it makes me think that he's feeling a certain level of confidence and happiness that he doesn't need to over express in some ways, but he sometimes used to when he felt like he wasn't heard. He felt like his clothes had to shout and his clothes still look great, but they're not shouting in the same way. Oh yeah. Oh, um, I was just going to say that I think that um, just because they are tailored, they fit him better, even though they, they may still be slightly flamboyant and still maybe slightly shouting, they don't shout as much because they actually look perfect on him. They're not those um, bright, sparkly clothes that are slightly too large or don't quite uh, match the top with the bottom. It's just that this... Um, now he he's finding the right style for him, but also with the right fit. And it's that a lot... Is, yeah, it, it makes a big difference. That is such a costume meta statement. That was great. Does this mark the beginning of the whole skinny jean era? I, I believe it does. I don't think he was doing much skinny jeans in season two. He was. Yeah. Yeah, he had some form form-fitting pants with some high boots in season two, but I just remember a lot of the pants were like the skull pants, or he was wearing uh, mm. kilts, or he was wearing you know just something different. But no, you're you're oh, yeah, absolutely this, yeah. I think she had such a great point, and you know, actually, I think when I think about like his most um, most accessorized outfit, well, I guess I'm not counting that. Um, jacket that's only goes down the I guess it's a vest it's just like the it's like the suit lapel of the jacket oh yeah but when they go to uh, wherever that mixer is and doesn't he have on that like chain metal scarf Mm. like that's what he's wearing the most um, like fashion armor well and and, you know that's the thing about Kurt's outfits the the outfits the pieces main pieces like the crazy shirts and then pants and whatever get toned down, but the accessories are still there and they're still very cart-ish. Um, so that kind of doesn't change, but I wonder if they got new costume designers in season three. I think this might have been, um, at one point, Lou, whatever her name was, left Glee to go to American Horror Story. Um, and so this might have been, this might have been the season where uh, the assistant costume designer stepped in. And I can't remember that person's name. Um, but the the lady who did it originally was a little more, um, fantastical with her nature and she definitely switched to the other show and I can't remember when the other show started. Maybe it was now. That makes sense. She was the one who was saying that her favorite people to dress were, um, Kurt and Emma with all of their accessories and their, their special outfits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, and Kurt will have, and we'll get into it more when we get into these episodes, but Kurt will have a few crazy outfits coming up. Um, let's look yeah. forward to, uh, I, I always wonder if Chris was sarcastic or not about this, but, um, the, uh, the Princess Leia outfit that yep. he wears, <laughs> where he's like, he does. It was in episode that, four, I think. It's episode I like six. I weren't sure if he was oh, being six. sarcastic. <laughs> mm. Well, and the yeah. funny thing is, I mean, and again, we'll talk about it way more when we get, when we talk about that episode, because that episode comes after the first time. And there was a lot mm. of conversation about how Kurt is covering himself up. 
um, after that, but so yeah, we did, we still do get one or two crazy outfits, but for the most part there, it's more masculine in nature and it's more toned down with the exception of, um, with, uh, uh, accessories at the same time. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say at the same time, this is when Chris starts to bulk up a little bit too. Um, in the shoulders and in the chest and just, he's got more muscle there than he used to. Yes. The purple piano project outfit is like, Oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also thought it was interesting how complimentary they have Blaine dressing along with Kurt. And so it almost seems like some of the shift of Kurt is probably also to adjust to the way that they're styling Blaine. Oh, that's true. They're definitely styling them as a couple, which they always have done. I think that's awesome. Yep, they even make a joke about it in the Big Brother episode when yep. when Cooper's like, and stop letting Kurt dress you. Um, <laughs> but I can see, I mean, I don't know if Blaine has as much interest in fashion as Kurt, but I do think he appreciates it. And I think he's also swayed by Kurt's opinion. That's that too. Very much so. Um, we get a, okay, so we get into another choir room scene. We have a shot of Kurt who's just like, sitting in the bag covered in food and just like de- oh i love them covered in food and after in the choir <laughs> it's so great i've got pepperoni in my bra <laughs> <laughs> yeah see look he's talking to mercedes this is the only like kind of exchange that they have during this whole whole uh episode but kurt sadies is not dead guys it, it is no. not definitely not it's just in the background it's just and, and like we were talking about before um Mercedes has Shane and they had to give the whole exposition as to why Sam is no longer there. And, um, they, Mercedes is kind of going to go on to her own kind of plot line. that just doesn't involve Kurt in the same way. So, um, yeah, but it doesn't mean, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that they're not friends. It just means that the story wanted to focus on something else. So, all right. So, and yeah, and then we get the entrance of sugar, which, she sings about as well as I can. Yeah, that was awful. <laughs> I mean, it's meant to be awful, but it's like, it was too long. Yeah. Well, but you know what? It's funny. It's not, it's, I don't know if, I don't, because she never really sang. I don't know if Vanessa Langes, um can sing or not. Vanessa can actually sing really well. She was in a show where she sang uh, American Dreams. Mm-hmm. And she sang on that show, and she she can actually sing really well. See, and I was gonna say it sounds actually more like somebody who can sing, singing purposely trying to sing bad. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Because she's still hit. I mean, like she's purposely going out of tune, but you can tell that she can, knows how to hit the notes. I, maybe it's just the, the musician in me that they can tell that thing. I, I don't claim to be that great of an expert on vocal music, but I'm just like. I don't know. It, it's kind of like when Rachel sang The Climb in season one for laryngitis when she lost her voice, quote unquote. Yeah. So, I mean, as opposed to, and I won't, I won't torture you, but me singing is just really like, like just stop. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Um, going back into the auditorium, we get our, um, Velma and Roxy moment. Um, before Wicked, there was The Wizard of Oz, and um, I guess... I, I love this moment between the two of them. First of all, I, I like too. them. It's like, oh, is it going to be Wicked? Because we're all super excited that it's going to be Wicked. 
And Kurt has such an adorable little set of reaction when he makes a little scrunchy face when he talks about the cookies and punch. Uh, yep. <laughs> I like the wishes. And th- throughout the whole scene, they both make super adorable faces. They're very theatrical and the entire performance is really entertaining for me to watch. I actually really uh, like the way they do the song. And this song is my wake-up alarm. Oh, is it? <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> oh, so, yep, they're singing. And it's also very appropriate, <laughs> lyric-wise. Ding dong, <laughs> the witch is dead. Wicked witch show. At one point, they say, yeah, they say um, wake up, get out, um, rub your eyes, get out of that bed. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, you know, and the thing that I I think this is a fantastic performance. It's not my favorite Hummelberry duet, but it is the performance of this is so adorable, and the choreography is adorable, and the timing of it, and the way they play off each other is just amazing and entertaining and fun. And yeah. this is kind of what I like in my Glee performances. I mean, you know, we all talk about how Kurt and Chris aren't really the best dancers, but here do they, they use it to the advantage. He's got props and he's got, you know, um, just his comical way about him. And Rachel plays off that so well. And in turn, you get Rachel not singing this, you know, gut-wrenching emotional ballad we've heard her sing like 5,000 times. So yeah. it's just, just a lot of fun. No, it's amazing, and even though they're still being in a way competitive, especially at the end, mm. uh, y- you can still see the playfulness in their competitiveness. It's not overwhelming. It's not them fighting against each other and trying to outshine each other in a mean way. It's playful. It's fun, and just really entertaining to watch. What I like about it is that there aren't many there aren't many um, numbers where Rachel gets to be like this with someone else. She's so tied down by solos, emotional. I'm going to be emotional now. Solos, and then duets with Finn, and she doesn't get to do this like big campy kind of stuff as often. Um, she does it really well later on in the series with Blaine with Broadway Baby, and she does it really well here with Kurt. And otherwise, she doesn't really have people that she can perform in this really endearing way, which is too bad because it makes me like Rachel more. Yep. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And this is, that's what I, I remembered I was going to say. This is kind of a great reintroduction to Kurt and Rachel's characters in, their, in, in a vocal sense. I mean, it, this is a show saying, okay, they're showcasing basically their major players and they're like, this is, I mean, yeah, we're going to get a lot of the Rachel and Kurt show, but here I'll take it. Here I'll take the just humorous and comical way they play off each other. Cause that's Hummelberry at their best too, I think is yeah. when they're being kind of goofy and when they are kind of, you know, joining forces and going out and taking on the world. And they definitely, I think this number explains the Hummelberry friendship more than anything else as we move into, um, that scene later on when they are recovering from going to the Niata mixer and they're having that moment in the car, this number I think solidifies that reaction piece uh, in a really smart way. Yeah. They're in you know, it together right out, now. It doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and we also talk a lot about a lot of time Kurt has songs and they're really, really meaningful. And this one, it doesn't necessarily I mean, it's kind of a confidence song. Um, 
and and a joyful song, but the lyrically it, there's not a whole lot to pull off. But at the same time, I'm, I can take that. I mean, this is a song that I definitely have on my playlist. So no, but it, 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 even if it doesn't have anything lyrically, it's still you know the predecessor of Wicked. It's something that they both feel very passionately about, and so it would make sense that they're familiar with it. And then the meaning of the Wizard of Oz to the gay community is also pretty big. So. Oh, that too. Yeah. I forgot about that. Somewhere over the rainbow. Uh, so that's a good point, putting that into, into the culture, the cultural aspects of it. Yeah, and even though he is quite fresh, <laughs> he's still familiar with the gay scene, so... <laughs> Well, not the, not the gay scene, but just yeah, maybe history of <laughs> not that there's not much of a gay scene in uh, as we'll find no. out later. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Well, we can move on to um our uh our locker hallway scene where Kurt is so just annoyed by you know things and he doesn't notice that Blaine has changed his clothes. <laughs> You know, what I like about this on the meta level is that Kurt's already, like, he's okay with McKinley, but McKinley really, he's putting this away and he's irritated. McKinley's kind of not that great. And then Blaine shows up and it's great. So it sort of solidifies to the point that he's making earlier in the line of being of, like, you know, if I want, if I want to kind of continue to ride this high that I'm on, I need you to be a part of it. And then Blaine walks in like a fantasy says stuff that's i mean totally right he walks in like a fantasy kurt's kurt's very specific fantasy and then he says a bunch of super romantic shit and then sings to him in the courtyard in front of everyone and as much as blaine's like out there and he's shaking his little booty along with the cheerios blaine no matter what happens always finds a way when he's singing especially when he's singing with girls is that he always has a point where he like locks eyes with kurt and just like, hey, remind, just remember everybody, I'm with that one. <laughs> like, I'm being cute up here, and it's all for that one right there. You know, and this is this is a really interesting thing, because I think that this particular scene speaks a lot to Blaine and where his character is now and where it's going to go and why he kind of just falls apart. But mm-hmm. look at, okay, so first of all, he comes in, and yeah, he is like dapper sexy. He just like leans up against that locker and is like, yo, check me out. <laughs> Yeah. Again, fandom was convinced that like this happens and somewhere between this scene and the like the courtyard, they're in the janitor's closet. Like (laughs) (laughs) I would say this particular scene launched like a thousand and one janitor's closet fix for like the first couple months. Oh, I mean, just I'm going to take a second and just appreciate how gorgeous Darren is in this Oh yeah, both of them. They are. Yes, both of them. Oh man, but no, but that's the thing, though. I mean, when you when you kind of like, if we go past the surface level on it, here, Blaine, you know, has come to McKinley, and does it as a surprise for Kurt, and he transfers schools because I mean, yeah, there is a lot of truth in his statement when he says, "I came here to, you know, I can't stand being away from the person that I love," and that he transferred for me, but. He transferred for Kurt. That's a that's a big thing. I mean, he did, but he also can't he can't stand to be away from the person he loves. And it is it was important for for Blaine 
to be the like I, I he did it for Kurt, but he also did it for himself because that's the kind of relationship he wants to be in. Yeah, at this point, I don't think that they're able to distinguish between um, if it was done for Kurt or for Blaine, because they're at uh, a place in their relationship where everything is for the two of them. It's they're not separate entities in this. They're in it together. So when it's in the honeymoon phase where things are going great, there is no point to think whether if it's done for one or the other because it's for both of them. But the moment things start going bad, then when you're looking for someone to blame for certain things, it's very easy then to say that something that's not going right is somebody else's fault. So later on in season four, when Blaine brings it up, then it's easy to say, well, I did it for Kurt. But right now he doesn't see it that way because he sees it as something he needs to do for himself in order to be with Kurt, to make Kurt happy, because making Kurt happy will make Blaine happy. Right. And and that going off of that, that's kind of... (sighs) You cannot rely on somebody else's happiness to make you, yourself happy. And Blaine's going to learn that the hard way. Um, no, but well, they don't see it yet. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's just saying we can as the audience. I mean, as much as, and I do, I love this scene. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's amazing. I love the love between them. But uh, if you want to take the strands of, you know, the breakup and everything that happens after that, you can take it down to this scene and say, okay, well, you know, there are signs here. Blaine is doing all of this stuff for Kurt. And not that Kurt's asking. He's really not. He's not, because Kurt is is worried about it. He does have that little rant where he's like, you know, this isn't going to lead to some nasty, nasty breakup or something, you know, like like they saw on The Bachelorette. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that it sets up all that drama. I like that we get to have this, like, sweeping romance between the two of them and the drama of it. Like, I... I, as a, as a watcher and also like, you know, the person who reads the fic that fills fills in all the gaps, like I appreciate that we got to have what seemed like a realistic, complicated relationship. Yeah. And I like that there's all of those layers in it. So we don't get just, I mean, it's not just a superficial lovey dovey relationship. There's, and, and the, uh, like the other scene before in the the lima bean, um, there are things that are going on underneath. I mean, there's, you know, and, and yeah, maybe we can, um, uh, superimpose them after the fact. I mean, maybe they weren't there when, when we first watched it, but now that we are kind of analyzing it as people that have seen the entire show, it is kind of fascinating to go back and say, okay, well, this is, you know, definitely where things kind of turn. And this is, you know, these be this behavioral stuff is not exactly the healthiest, even if it's these grand romantic gestures and stuff. All right, so yeah, we're getting into, um, going on to, um, it's not unusual, and yeah, I mean, again, it's it's kind of just a, a serenade um, for Kurt, but uh, it's sweet. I love the, the idea that um, if you were just someone who's at McKinley, okay, so you're there, first day, of, second, first day of school, they're singing on your lunch, okay, fine. Second day of school, oh, thank God, they haven't done anything. Third day of school, that guy from prom is back and now he's here and he's got the band and the Cheerios <laughs> and they're in the courtyard. In the end, something gets set on fire. Oh, he's, yep, that's, yep, that's Kurt's boyfriend. That's really clear. <laughs> okay, 100% clear. 
Like, I just love the outside view of what's happening here. Oh, God. I can only well, imagine. For a lot of them, it may not be that big of a surprise, considering that uh, Blaine already serenaded Kurt with somewhere only we know in the very same place. So. That's true. He's, this is his second time singing in the courtyard. Yeah. <laughs> and he sang at their prom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, kind of, I'll scoot through that one then um, a little <laughs> bit. Just to, we'll, we'll get into the um, Miata mixer. And the big thing, the big pull out of this is um, that Kurt and Rachel realized that they may be big fish in McKinley, but, you know, outside there are a lot of people who are just like them. Um, the other thing I really want to mention really quickly, uh, and I can, maybe I'll just get into more of this when we talk about Rory, but this marks the first of the um, Glee Project winners in Lindsay Pierce, yeah. and, and she, yes. she's Harmony. She It's a great song. Um, she sings fantastically in it. My problem with, <coughs> oh, sorry. My problem with the Glee Project stuff, though, is that it was all mostly shoehorned in. Um, yeah. and, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that also derailed season three to try and, and I guess it was a mandate from Fox. I think that, um, from what people were telling me that, um, Fox said, we're going to do this reality show. And Ryan Murphy said, okay, well, if you're going to force me to do this, I'm going to be a part of it. And so Ryan Murphy was a part of it and Ryan Murphy couldn't pick just one person. So they had a bunch of winners and four. I had four winners. Yeah. So this gets a little ridiculous. Now, this kind of stuff I can take, I can tolerate that, you know, in this one song, it's it's a comical scene. It's an eye-opening scene for Rachel and Kurt. Um, she can really sing. Maybe it'll boost. I don't know if she ever did anything after this stuff. I don't know if her career went anywhere. But, you know, it's a nice, you know, springboard for her career. That's great. Uh, you know, like I said, I'll get more into the Rory stuff where that just, you know, I, I, yeah. I, Unique, I think, was a great, great addition. That so is the thought. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so. Well, it's like here they had someone who could have been um, a foil for Rachel. But they just kept introducing these people who were like, oh, she's going to be a foil for Rachel. And then she's gone in the next episode. Well, and then, then there's that. And then, then why is Sugar a new character then? I, I don't, you know, if they were going <sighs> to. They got to fill the seats. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So. Well, I, I don't think that they were necessarily finding inspiration in um, Lindsay because um, it seems that Ryan Murphy gets inspired by the actors in order to write for their characters. Yeah, and that's... I think that she was way too similar to um, Leah when it comes to her training. She has classical training. And I think that he just as being very close to Leah, he wasn't seeing anything original that he could create for Lindsay. So I guess he saw her maybe exactly as this one scene, someone who was very, very similar to Rachel. And I, I don't, uh, did you guys watch the Glee project? No. I've watched I watched both seasons of the Glee Project and um I found Lindsay extremely irritating. Oh and, see, there you go. And maybe other people feel differently about her. She was 
excellent in the way she was singing, but as a personality, I don't know if she was asked to play it that way or what the situation exactly was. I don't know how scripted the whole thing was, but her personality was just so grating and it was very difficult to watch the show with yeah. her in it. I guess as someone like, especially thank God I didn't ever watch it. Sounds awful. Um, but for me, it was just sort of like a frustrating repetitiveness with the same thing that happened with sunshine. This girl shows up and she's a threat to Rachel, but really she just goes away on her own and then she'll pop up at a performance at some point. Like she'll pop up at a regionals or sectionals or something later on in the season. And then that's that. Um, and I just like, like, I just, I want to see Rachel have some real challenges. So, you know, the one good thing about it is that we get this reaction scene between Kurt and Rachel in the car, and it's incredibly sweet, and it really explains a lot about their relationship. Um, and, you know, Kurt's a little too, you know, he he props Rachel up in a way that I find, sometimes I get frustrated with it, but I totally understand when you have someone like that in your life, there's a certain way that you have to, you kind of have to handle them. Um, yeah. And so I don't think it's inappropriate what he does with Rachel. Um, but as a, as a viewer, it's hard to not see the way people handle Rachel as like unfair, except for the fact that we all know people who get handled unfairly, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, it's just not appropriate. You can't say the same thing to Rachel that you can say to uh, Mercedes, for example, and we see what the difference that happens with Mercedes through this season. Um, and it's irritating, so irritating because you see how nicely everybody handles Rachel and Mercedes is so wonderful and she gets a totally different kind of storyline. I mean, I'm glad she gets a storyline, but um, I wish that there somewhere, somewhere along the way there would have been some sort of commentary about how we're handling Rachel in this way because this is the limit of what she can handle. Like she can't really handle a more sophisticated level of understanding with other people. Mm. Uh, that's just not where she's at on the spectrum. You yeah. Know? Mm. <laughs> well, in this yeah. scene, the thing is, because I, I decided to start counting them. This is the um, Kurt props up Rachel uh, virgin two. The first one was in born this way. And mm-hmm. this is the second one. And um, when I first saw the episode, I remember I did watch this one in real time. It, you know, when you come back from the summer and you don't really, you're not, you don't have that history of Pummelberry behind you yet. It's, it is sweet and it's nice. And she, she props him up too. I mean, she does say some, she does. um, really, you she know, does, which, which I found a little unusual because I got so used to him propping her up and her just getting better and not acknowledging the fact what he did for her. But this time she actually responds to that. She, she does it back for him yeah I mean the ratio is like 10 to 1 for when she does it back to him but this one I thought was really it was it was sharply done in a way that I thought was really effective in terms of understanding their relationship right well and, and something yeah. I want to mention about Niata really quick is that Niata it's something that I, you know none of us picked up on during the season I didn't see anybody talking about this but it's something in retrospect that I am 100% like that this is my viewpoint um, that Niata was something that Kurt, every time something good for Kurt happens with Niata, something bad happens with Rachel. 
Yeah. And it's the only reason Kurt, it's, it's like him following along and it's for to, to literally prop up her storyline. So this whole Niata storyline is more about Rachel eventually going off to her dreams and Kurt is just dragged along for the ride. I mean, any like we'll start, it starts here. They're talking about Niata. She talks about all the stuff that she's got going for her. And Kurt says, you know, I am woefully thin on extracurriculars. And maybe, I mean, this is just foreshadowing of, you know, he's not going to get in, but like, you know, he's got this student, this student council thing that's going to blow up in his face. You know, he's going to do a great audition, but not get in. It's just going to be uh, irritating. It's going to, I'm sorry, guys. You're just going to have to listen to me whine for <laughs> 22 episodes about how this Miata well, thing drives me nuts. Of, if you think of the analogy of, you know, the way these characters are is as like, the way someone, um, whether, you know, how their story works as opposed to how they would be cast, Rachel is going to get cast in a lot of stuff. She's going to have easier success because she can pass into a lot of dis- different scenarios. Kurt is a more singular type of personality, and so he's going to have a bumpier ride finding places and pieces to fit and ways to go. And so if you think of um, the, the whole Niata arc as an analogy of, like, them in the performing arts um it sort of fits really well it's frustrating because i love kurt and i want him to get some stuff but Mm -hmm. um you know i i see why they say that things basically you know they're just they're easier for rachel and blaine they just are because rachel and blaine there's there is a type that is very common and both of them can play that type i think also though i think Overall, when you look at the series overall, Kurt's struggles make him a more interesting character. Um, yes. Whereas Rachel getting everything on a silver platter and, you know, being handled yeah. with kids' gloves. Yeah. I mean, you know how I feel. They don't let her learn anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have to agree. I have to say that um, Kurt definitely has a lot of support from the fans just because of that, because he has gone through a lot. He has struggled along the way. But at one point, it just becomes a little too much when you see like you see that it would be great to watch drama around him because it's nice to have something going on so he's not a background character. But when that drama makes absolutely no sense like it did towards the end of season three then that was really frustrating yeah i mean that's how i was um with mercedes it's a similar kind of thing like is mercedes as easily cast into things no she and kurt aren't but they don't get west side story obviously and so you see mercedes having a similar kind of arc of the struggles of trying to fit into what is a very small box in terms of performances and like what people are allowed to do yeah Um, which ultimately mm. is the more interesting story when you think about it. It is how are these people yeah. going to figure out their way and, and what are they going to do? Um, uh, the other thing really quickly, though, about this scene it kind of reminds me is that it again, highlighting Rachel as the main character and Kurt is now her quote unquote best friend. It also means that we don't get Kurt and Blaine in a lot of conversations that I wish we could have seen on screen. Yeah. You know, whenever, mm. you know, Kurt has a problem with Yana, he, he, I mean, yeah, we have that one scene where he's like, I'm going to go tell, talk to Blaine about it. But we don't ever get to see them have conversations. You know, it, it. I mean, they have stuff about the relationship, but season three, they don't get a lot of conversation. They don't get a lot to do with each other because, you know, the story is about Rachel. And 
unfortunately. And, and, and it's not just about Kurt and Flayne. I mean, I, I think that all of the characters, all of the side characters suffer a little bit more um, because they, they're trying to divvy up, you know, 50% Rachel or 25% Will and 25% Rachel and Finchel. And everybody else has the other 50%, which just is little minuscule pieces. So, No, not for the big cast that they are. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say one other thing about this scene. Um, I thought it's just props to Glee for putting them in a car because to me, it was an acknowledgement that they had to actually drive to Dayton where the mixer was. They <laughs> don't really the do driving <laughs> scenes very often, do they? No. <laughs> no, but I, I felt like, okay, well... You know, it is a different town. It's like, what, an hour away or so? Oh, well, we shouldn't probably try to do Glee geography. I, I don't know, <laughs> but, but in any case, they're in a car, which in a way shows that they had to drive there, even though I do realize that in the United States, people drive everywhere. But it's, it's just... Most of the time when you had them going between Dalton and McKinley, there was no indication that they didn't just snap their fingers and got teleported there. Or take the magic subway. I I felt like seeing them in a car was somewhat significant. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do think that Glee makes a point of having emotional settings in cars. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always raining when somebody's in a car. Yeah, and then they're being emotional. Yeah, I can think of three other scenes where it's raining and somebody's in a car. Emma. (laughs) The Emma thing, the um, Quinn talking to Terry about the baby in season one is raining, and I didn't neglect Rachel talking to Mercedes. They're in a car, and it's raining. Oh, uh, when Finn broke up with Quinn. No, it was actually sunny out then. I don't know why I remember that. And it's still a... It's a breakup scene. It's an emotional scene. It is. I'm surprised none of the breakups were ended up in, like the in the breakup. We were in a car, but anyway. <laughs> okay. What happens after the car? I don't even know what happens next in the episode. Sorry. Oh yeah, we're we're pretty much at the end. Um, there's <laughs> okay. um, it, a couple more things I want to note, but before we, one last thing in general. You know, something as we're going through this, I noticed while yes, we're still talking about like scenes having layers and still having um, multiple meanings and things we can pull out of. I still think that season three is just a little bit more anvilish, a little bit more like yeah. blatant with everything. I think there was a lot more mm-hmm. subtlety in seasons one and two um, in just the general storytelling. So, but anyway, um, so we get to the end. Um, Blank is now part of New Directions. And this is the weirdest delivery that Darren gives. It's just, I don't know, I've always found yeah. it strange. Because he's like, it's all going The outfit that he chooses to wear on the first day in the choir room is a little strange. And maybe it's because he's meant to be feeling strange. Um, I don't know. but Maybe I felt like it was a little Will Schuster-y outfit. <laughs> That's why it's awful. Well, and Kurt's yeah. the one wearing a bow tie in this scene, so... Yes, but it's coordinated to Brett's shirt. Or Brett, what's his name? Blaine. His name's not Stoner Brett. What's his name? Blaine. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I said he was coordinated to Stoner Brett. <laughs> yeah, this is a podcast for Kurt and his boyfriend, Blaine. Who's <laughs> 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 
I'm just teasing you. Okay, I, I, I don't know if I should. That's the worst fail ever. I can't believe I called him Stoner Brit. You know, and here's my thing. I wish a uh, shout out to see Kerouac here for a moment. Um, uh, those with young children can cover their ears. Um, there's that screen cap that I've got. <laughs> And oh my like, god! Yeah. And I cannot. I mean, them of course they would, but really it does because Brittany's head is strategically placed, so it looks like Blaine is jacking off Kurt. It's just so funny. <laughs> I mean, again, we haven't had the first time episode yet, so as far as fandom was concerned, he was. Oh man! And somebody sped up the GIF, so it really does look like that's <laughs> happening. <laughs> I mean, I just have a still of it, and Kurt looks quite satisfied. <laughs> Pretty pleased with himself. Well, now that Blaine's here at McKinley, that can happen all the time. No wonder he needs him there every day. He needs to see him every day. He's got a regimen. <laughs> but um, on a more serious note, um, I believe this is the first time with Finn having issues with Blaine being there, and yeah. which is funny to me because again we talk about summer and how Blaine was probably over all the time, and. Uh, okay. Well, if you were expecting Finn to put two and two together, um, let's just stop right there. <laughs> Not to mention, like, I don't even know. No, but the last, I think the last time we saw Finn and Blaine interact, it was in Prom Queen, right? And they seem to be getting along really well. Finn was all supportive of Kurt and Blaine going to prom and their outfits and everything. But now I... I feel like maybe it's because of Summer. Maybe it's because he was seeing Blaine a lot and all of a sudden he realized what a big influence Blaine would have on the Glee Club. So he's starting to feel threatened by having Blaine in that setting where Finn is supposed to be the male lead. He's supposed to be the captain of the Glee Club. I mean, wouldn't you be threatened? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Everyone, male, female, everyone be threatened. Blaine's here. He's going to take all the songs, even from Rachel. I mean, it makes sense because, again, in season two, Sam showed up, Finn was jealous, yada, yada, yada. You know, like, they're just going to put the same things out there again. Finn and Rachel kind of just have the same ongoing problems all the time. Um, and, and I'm sure that I Kurt totally has... see, you know, I yeah, see go, go, Finn go, go. Not, not understanding, like, not thinking, like, that there was a chance that Blaine would be there until Blaine got there. And then once Blaine's there, he's like, something doesn't feel right in my gut. What is yep. it? Yeah, but not only that, it's just that uh, the the way that I'm sure Kurt has always talked about Blaine and just seeing Blaine and how confident he is and how um, and watching him perform um, outside in the courtyard. Finn right now is in a place where he is so insecure. He he doesn't know yeah. what he's doing, where his life is going. He, he has no idea what's going on. And then here comes Blaine, who is super confident. He has everyone's attention. He gets all the songs. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense that Finn is so threatened by him. Totally. Because, you know, they start out the episode asking, hey, Finn, what are you going to do with your life? And he's like, oh, fuck, I got no clue. And then Blaine shows up. <laughs> And he has this magical thing in the courtyard and Finn's dancing. He likes it. And then it's like, you know, it takes a beat. It takes a day or two. And then Finn's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's take a second and talk about really quickly. Um, Santana's leaving for one episode only and then coming back. I, who knows? I, yeah. But no, I don't, you not. know, the less <laughs> we talk about Santana and these, these first arc, I, 
I just don't want to talk it's about one of those ways that both Santana and Sue consistently make no sense. So there's almost no point to even really trying to like. Well, I think that it's just that Santana is still not ready to come out and she is not sure how she wants to handle things. So she, um, she maybe is afraid that Sue will out her because of how Sue was saying, which team are you going to be on? And she's still not very sure of herself, not knowing what to do. So she's playing along with Sue. I I don't know. Uh, I could see that. That's a good point. Um, Another thing about the scene I want to really quickly mention is that it is the, the reason why Blade is giving Kurt a handjob is um, (laughs) (laughs) that he decided to run. Well, (laughs) there is a reason why. Well, I mean, you know, okay. Well, (laughs) um, Being next to each other is good of a reason. Oh, man. I just cannot get through this. Um, Is that um, Kurt is going to run through, uh, run through, run for student (laughs) council president. I give up. No. It's it's the beginning of the student body president storyline, which, uh, okay, whatever. We'll get into it more. Of course it doesn't work for Kurt. It doesn't fit him. Of course he was never, you know, he was desperate and he had to do this thing and he has to strike out and like, you know, I love my Kurt. It's adorable, but he's not going to be student body president. He's just not. And it's okay to watch him kind of flail a little bit. Um, I'd rather him flail with this than and like than some uh, something that I think is more meaningful to him. Because in the end, mm-hmm. like this is just something he's trying to put on an application. You know, and when you think about how he applies yeah. things later on when he shows Isabel his fashion blog that he's been running on his own just independently of anything else. Like, it's a lot... Because it's relevant to him, it has a lot more meaning as to something that might happen with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, it's like, you know, I yep. feel bad for him for not getting the things, but, like, is this even really a thing he could get? Was Glee going to write some amazing story arc about the changes makes it get... Like, <laughs> and then he stuff. becomes a little Rachel-fied when, if they did that, you know? Yeah, it'd so. be dumb. Um, the, the, and, and then Will gives the whole point of the story and I wrote in my notes but the moral of the story is that you can pull out of the strings out of the purple piano but you can't pull out its music or oh. something like that <laughs> does he write that on the whiteboard? I can't remember no I just made that up oh. <laughs> um, but yeah I, and before we get to the last song I do have to take a, a second and um, give a shout out to the one thing that Will does in this uh, episode that makes just cracks me up um, when I see it, he um, glitter bombs Sue. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why you're just true. sitting there and like spitting the glitter out. It just is so funny. That's a good one. It's better than the other times he's like trying to have sex with Emma. Yeah. Awkwardly. You know what's interesting yeah, now that I think good. of it, now that we've reached the end? How little these plot lines all kind of interconnect because there are a there are a bunch of storylines going on in this episode and we we didn't really touch on them and I'm not gonna really do that but because a lot of them don't mean anything they don't I mean like we don't need to because they don't intersect with the Kurt and Blaine stuff very much and no. they're not going to I think that's the other real big issue with season three is that we are gonna have a, a ton of these storylines going on and they just don't intermix very well they don't connect very well so. Um, but this is one of the better episodes in general, and we end with a rousing number of. Um, oh, um, what is this song called again? You can't stop the. Beat. You can't stop the beat. Oh my it's gosh! Great. There's my it's boring so part of the episode. 
you can't stop the beat. And um, as somebody will yell at me if I don't point it, don't point it out. When the stills of this were first released, they were trying to hide that Blaine had joined Glee Club, so they photoshopped him out. (laughs) So there's that. Um, There is the start. Kurt or Chris falls down at one point or something. Yeah, he tries to hop up on the piano at the end, and he slides his little butt off, and just he sits. He covers it up. He like sits. He like sits cute, but um, he totally misses it and lands on the floor. (laughs) <laughs> but this is the first, um, oh, not the first, because there's the pilot has Don't Stop Believing, um, but the second season does not have a group number. They actually end with a Rachel solo. So this comes back to the whole group um, number, and yeah. they're in you know plain purple shirts, and it's fun, and it's you know kind of the one thing about season three that people genuinely like, and and I do give it credit for is that. It is kind of about, you know, these kids and this, you know, senior year and this kind of fun time at McKinley. And they have a lot of really great group numbers in season three. And this is definitely one of them. It's a super fun number. Mike and Brittany are dancing amazingly. Everybody else is sort of like cutesy flailings. Like they're just having fun. You know, there's really loose choreography and it's still just like fun and great. And the purple, I think, works really well for like. It does. The happiness of the number. Yep, it's kind of hargating back to that don't stop believing feel. Not that I mean, these, it, it's matching with the purple pianos, obviously, and um, but it does kind of give that like group unit camaraderie thing. Yeah, I like it when they all wear the same color, but different, like but stylized versions of purple yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think that this episode is actually indicative of the season because I think that this episode is just fun, and there is this. Um, group dynamic like you said but a lot of the season gets into rivalries and splitting of friendships and all of these things so it kind of goes downhill from here this is just this happy uh, playful episode yeah yeah and (laughs) I mean I, I will take the first time out and as remove it as this, even though I, there are some themes in the first time that are very season three-ish. But, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it does start on this kind of happy and playful note. And this this episode is very good. Um, I do, like, recommend it if people are, you know, like, what's the best of season three? What would you recommend? Because most of it is nothing. Um, I would definitely yeah. take this one. <laughs> I mean, I hope people, I hope I don't lose listeners during this you guys, it's gonna be a fun. It's gonna be so great because you're normally so positive about everything. And you're, <laughs> I'm totally looking forward to it. I, I hope people don't leave because I I do love the show. Seasons four, five, and six. I have so much great stuff to talk about, and mm-hmm. I I I don't. I think it's it's kind of a joking way too. I I mean, season three is my least favorite, but I'm I'm more joking about just how atrocious it is. It, it's just yeah. it's kind of you know how like. I don't know if you ever hear other podcasts describing other things that you love and there's always going to be something that somebody is talking about that they just, it's not their favorite thing to talk about. So yeah, why not have that fun that. Okay. joking about okay. how awful it is? <laughs> it's just funny. Cause normally you're like, let's look on the right side and here you're like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the right like side. I'm very, like how, I'm very curious how it's going to go when you're done with the podcast for season three, because maybe in every episode you will actually find something that 
makes you happy about the season that you didn't notice before. And I'm glad that I, I, I am so glad I paired off the Spanish teacher with heart because (laughs) (laughs) the Spanish teacher is the worst episode. It just is. It is you guys. So (laughs) that's what we have to look for. But the the point is when you take, (laughs) my thing is when you have these things, they're just not as good quality as everything else. You yeah, can totally. have fun with it and you can just be like, okay, guys, here we go. Cracky glee. Let's do this. This is, you know, so, um, please stick with us. If you guys are really having a hard time with me and my negativity, um, after 22 episodes, we will be, I don't know. It's, it's less than 22. Um, okay, getting into season four. Negativity. It's just adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think so too. And you know what? After all, no matter how negative, you may think you are towards season three. You still managed to watch it. You still stuck with Glee after season three. So it couldn't have been that bad. Sure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually. Uh, it is not. And there are so many little great moments in season three. And I'm not going to underplay that. There are a lot of really fun things to get, you know, to look forward to, um, like season four. And, um, no, I'm just now it's like a joke and I'm trying to be funny. Yeah. I'm just curious Ooh. though. Did you uh, did you ever oh, but not only you Pam but both of you did you ever feel like you wanted to give up on Glee? I did. This is hilarious. I I talked about this a little bit during season 2. I didn't really like the show in season 2 and I didn't really want to watch it anymore. And um Season three, I should give a lot of credit to because season three is actually why I started watching again. Um, I was going to be done with it. And then this episode in particular was just so well done that I enjoyed it a lot. And then the first time, um, that is a really special episode to me uh, because it's what made me fall in love with Claim and what made me go back Mm -hmm. and really watch the show again. And so... What made you stop... uh liking it in season two i'm just very curious because it's actually an excellent season for crane you know and because uh, i wasn't paying much attention to that um i it started kind of with the britney episode i'm not a britney spears fan and i mm-hmm. didn't like that episode and just anytime i just kind of got a negative attitude about it so i wasn't paying a lot of attention and then when kurt left i thought they were writing him off the show and, um, so I was like, fine, if you're going to do that, I'm just not going to watch. And I, I didn't really watch a lot of the second half of season two. Um, I had to actually go up and, and catch up on a lot of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I watched all of it, but you know, sometimes there would be stuff where I would just fast forward. <laughs> Cause I always just DVR'd everything, which was great. Cause I could go back and rewatch the things that I liked you know, jump back a little bit and jump back a little bit. But, you know, so much of the stuff at this point started getting, like, released. The songs would get leaked and, you know, you kind of, you could, like, kind of pre-watch it in some ways when you knew enough about it. So, like, there was a song that I just thought was boring or something from a character that I wasn't that interested in. Sometimes I would just fast forward and then just scoot on to the part that I liked. Yeah. Well, and this is the start of um, when I got to be more active in the fandom. So you're going to hear a lot more stories from me about um, fandom life and what it was like to actually live these things live. And I know a lot of people yeah. talked a lot about that with season two because they were there. But now you get my impact, which I'm sure you guys are going to be driven nuts with that, too. But <laughs> yeah. 
I first discovered fandom uh, after the Christmas episode. Well, not discovered, but I I felt like I joined fandom after the Christmas episode of season three. Fine. Yeah, and and I first watched Glee after original song. I watched. I marathoned everything in about four or five days. Oh wow! Season one and season two up to. Can I ask you the same question? Was there ever a point where you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I can stick with this anymore? Um, Not really. Um, Maybe kind of uh, when the whole breakup thing happened uh, in season four, just because of um, the whole fandom overreaction over it. But also I have a very close personal story to how the the breakup played out that really hit me hard. And I felt like um, the whole show was a way for me to escape my life. And I didn't want my life to be brought into this. <laughs> and so I felt very betrayed in a way by the show for making me relate to it. <laughs> I didn't like that. And so um, I struggled with uh, how all of that happened. And of course, the fandom overreaction of Blaine cheating. I was in it together with everyone just because that's what was happening. But that was that that point where I questioned if I wanted to stick around or not. Because I didn't know if I could handle it personally. Just because of my own life but um no i i never missed an episode even after that and um since i because of the time difference and i live in europe so um i that would be the first thing i would watch in the morning i wouldn't touch the internet um i didn't want to know anything i did uh, i tried to be i wasn't spoiler free but i tried not to watch the sneak peeks and not to watch um, not to listen to any songs unless Kurt or Blaine were in them like I would listen to those but I wouldn't listen to any of the others and so so I kind of wanted the full experience without being affected by other people's opinions of the show so I would watch every episode before I saw any reactions that's really admirable i unfortunately got sucked down the spoiler hole and that just was oh man <laughs> well, just being on the west coast so that's impressive <laughs> <laughs> yeah so well, i i mean i knew a lot of the spoilers it's just that i didn't uh, i think that a lot of times spoilers were taken out of context so they yeah. weren't interpreted yeah. correctly so that was yeah. okay with me i just didn't want the fully aired episodes to be spoiled for me by other people's reactions because I wanted to make up my own mind how I felt about it before I read how um, before I read other people's meta and all of that about the episode itself. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I, I felt like I was fully committed to the show where I was making an effort to even stay away from the internet, you which is a little totally hard for me. Were. That yeah. was absolute commitment kudos to you <laughs> i didn't do it at all <laughs> so, but all right well anything else we want to say about uh, purple piano project before we um wrap up for the night no uh, I guess not. no i 
I think we covered it. I'll find you that gif of Kurt falling off the speaker so you can post it along with this one. Okay, I'll try and find. I'll try and dig up the the hand job one. Because... <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I want to thank Snarky Hag and One Step from Reality uh, for joining me tonight. Next week, we are going to be doing um, I Am Unicorn and talking about our special unicorns. So thank you for joining me and um, check us out every Sunday night.